Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. I would love to hear just a few of those words, those phrases that represent something really important to you that's bringing you here today. Uh, It would help me to um, get a sense of what's bringing us together every time I do something like this. Uh, It's a little different depending on who's here. So I wonder if there are a few volunteers who might be willing to share just that word. What was that word or that phrase? And uh, I'll repeat it so others can hear. Harmony. Harmony. What else? Love. Love. Loving conversation. Loving conversation. Integrity. Integrity. So notice how it is to hear these words. Harmony. Love, integrity, loving conversation. What else? Connection, receptiveness, felt sense. What else? Respect. Sincerity. Beautiful. Other other facets. Non-harming. Wholeness. Surrender. Surrender. Clarity. Clarity. Understanding. Understanding. Emotional responsibility. Compassionate communication. Compassionate communication. Great. Okay. Any, any, any more that someone really wants to share that, that hasn't been voiced? I'm sure there's many more, but anything that's alive? Awareness of shadow. Oh. Awareness of shadow. Great. Hmm. So beautiful values. What beautiful intentions. Understood, understanding, yeah. So the question that I've been preoccupied with for most of my adult life that um, uh, that drew me to the Buddhist path and that also drew me to the practice of nonviolent communication is the question of how, right? We can identify our best intentions pretty easily. Right? That was not a long meditation. You know, we just slow down, check in with ourselves, let things settle a little bit. You know, it's not deep samadhi. It's not deep concentration here. But it's enough to actually get some clarity around, you know, what's important to me? Where do I want to come from? And then that question of how. How do I stay connected to this in the rush and the busyness of my life? How do I bring these values forward 
in my conversations, in my relationships, at home, at work, with clients, um, with colleagues, with patients. How? And so this is what I hope to share with you today is uh, some pointers, some ideas, and a few practices that will give you some traction to take that value and bring it into your life more. <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about the this topic of real dialogue and healthy relationships and how it relates to... Uh, to uh, Buddhist meditation practice and nonviolent communication. So we could we could say that healthy relationships or healthy relationship is uh, kind of a particular constellation of experiences that are characterized by certain qualities, right? When we have a healthy relationship with, with another person, with a group of people, or with ourself, there, there are certain qualities that are present, things like honesty, trust, um, mutual respect, understanding, compassion, uh, generosity, vulnerability, right? Uh, and many more. We could, we could have a very interesting conversation uh, just, about, just about this topic. What is a healthy relationship and what characterizes it? And I would invite you, if you carpooled here, or you're here with someone you know, maybe this, this over lunch or at dinner, you might explore or on the ride home this topic of what is a healthy relationship? What, what constitutes it? And what's, what is the difference? what we might call an unhealthy relationship. So in my understanding, the way that I conceptualize this, so I have a circle here on the board, uh, and inside the circle it says healthy relationship. And then within that circle, there's another smaller circle that says real dialogue. So real dialogue, I think, is one aspect of healthy relationships, right? If, if you and I have a healthy relationship characterized by all of these qualities, it means we can talk to each other. And the healthiest relationship, we can talk about anything. Even the tough, even the difficult things, right? That's a hallmark of healthy relationship. Now, what's interesting about real dialogue to me is, and I'll define what I mean by that in a moment, is that not only is it a subset of healthy relationship, but if our relationship is not characterized by all of these, this constellation of qualities that I was mentioning, we can use real dialogue, and now I'm drawing an arrow from that circle of real dialogue up above the main circle. So I'm stepping out of the circle of healthy relationship. So real dialogue is also a means or a practice that can get us towards healthy relationship. So it's both an aspect of healthy relationship and in some sense it's a prerequisite or a tool that can help us develop more healthy relationships, right? If we don't have a sense of trust, well, if we're able to talk to one another in a certain way, we can start to build that. If we don't have a sense of mutuality, where there's an even give and take between us, 
yeah, where we both feel respected and heard, well, we can start to slowly build that if we can talk to each other, if we can begin to hear one another, okay? So what do I mean by real dialogue? Again, fascinating topic. We could spend a good chunk of the morning just exploring what is real dialogue, what's meant by that. And I would invite you, if it's of interest to you, to contemplate that, to talk about it with uh, uh, people you respect, people you're close to. I want to offer a few... um, a few thoughts on how I understand this phrase, real dialogue or sometimes true dialogue. Usually we think of that word dialogue as meaning a conversation between two people as opposed to a monologue. And that's one very basic understanding. But actually, the root of the word, it's not die to, it's actually dia. D-I-A, which means across, and, and log from logos word, okay? So sending a word across. So there's that sense, it's not, just that there, it's not just that there's two people talking, but it's a certain kind of exchange, one in which there's a meaning that's, uh, that's connected, that moves across from one to another. So the, uh, the theologian David Lockheed defines dialogue as a way of knowing truth that neither party possesses prior to the dialogue. So there's this sense that through our exchange, we, come, we both come to know something new in a different way that we didn't know before. It's transformative. We actually come to see each other in a new way, in more accurate ways. I come to see you, not just through my own filters and perceptions and ideas and biases, but I come to see you in a way that's closer to how you see and understand yourself. So I now have a new understanding of you and vice versa. And that we, and that, and through that, that we might even come to understand something else more fundamental about whatever topic it is we're exploring in a new way. So this kind of dialogue, this kind of conversation, rests upon creating certain conditions. We have to create the right atmosphere, the right environment for this kind of dialogue to occur. There has to be a sense of respect, mutual respect, that we can disagree without um, judging one another in, uh, uh, you know, making value judgments or moralistic judgments of one another. There has to be a sense of uh, mutuality, this, this, this balance of give and take. It's not just one way, right? One more. So there's the, there are the, there's the conditions for dialogue, the kind of atmosphere that we create. There's the process of dialogue, of actually being able to hear one another, the result of that dialogue, seeing one another more accurately 
and coming to a new understanding of something that we didn't possess beforehand, neither one of us. And then, because the reality is that a lot of the times it's difficult, especially around the things that matter the most. It's difficult to create those kinds of conditions. It's difficult to um, have that kind of give and take, right? So when there isn't that mutuality, when there isn't that respect, when there isn't that trust, then we can, uh, we can still practice bringing this, these core values, these core intentions that we identified, we can still practice bringing those into our life through what's called uh, my colleague, uh, Mickey Kashtan, who's one of the co-founders of Bay NVC, uh, what she calls the discipline of dialogue, which is about how we're relating to the situation. And she defines this as an orientation to conversation, an orientation to collaboration in which we're committed to pursuing an outcome that truly works for everyone, even when others are only looking out for themselves. Right? So even when the other person isn't relating from this place of real dialogue, we can. And that starts to have an effect. That starts to create the environment, the conditions for this kind of transformative exchange, which then becomes, um, which then helps to form healthier relationships in our personal life, in our professional life, and in our political life in, uh, in society. So again, a lot here, right? A lot to explore. And I want to spend as much time as possible today uh, practicing and working with, working with tools. So, um, so I offer this as a framework, as a, a framework to think about. I want to say a few words about how does all of that relate to um, being here at Spirit Rock and I'm, I'm pointing to the Buddha and uh, Kuan Yin on the altar, the embodiments of uh, compassion and wisdom. How does this relate to contemplative practice and specifically the Buddhist path of awakening? Within the... Uh, structure of the Buddhist teachings, which are um, uh, a, a thorough and whole uh, way of life. Mostly we hear about meditation practice, sitting silently with your eyes closed. That's the thing that gets the most press from Buddhism. But uh, the, uh, what the Buddha taught is uh, a way of understanding ourselves and the world a way of relating to one another and experience, and a way of living, a way of being in our life that is conducive to uh, peace, understanding, and well-being in ourselves, in our relationships, and in our communities. That's, that's what Buddhist practice is about. And within that whole realm uh, of the, this way of life, which is summarized in the Noble Eightfold Path, this um, uh, 
system of training our mind and heart, uh, communication is given a very prominent place. It's given a very prominent place. Um, And there are many reasons for this. One of the primary ones being that the way we think and the way that we speak has a very powerful effect on um, how we understand ourselves and the world and each other. And then therefore that determines how we act. So speech is very powerful in, uh, in the Buddhist tradition. It's, uh, it's, a way, it's a way of understanding the world. It's a way of making a connection. And it also has effects. It's, uh, it carries its own force. Right? So we all know the experience uh, of having said something that hurts someone we care about. And how awful that feels. That we, we can't take it back once those words are out of our mouth. Sometimes uh, it, it causes enough damage that the relationship really is never the same. You know, and that's hard. We see it throughout history, how words are used to manipulate entire uh, populations for, you know, political agendas, for horrific uh, things that human beings do to one another, slavery, oppression, genocide, through language, through words, right? So very powerful. And we, we know the other side, We know how uplifting words can be, how healing words can be. You know, just just a kind word from someone. Hey, how's it going? You doing all right? You know, just someone taking a moment to check in with us. Or someone says, thank you, or expresses some appreciation or gratitude. You know, sometimes that can keep us going for weeks. It's It's a kind of nourishment for the heart. So the power of words and then the uh, however pervasive speech is in our lives. From the moment we wake up until the moment we fall asleep and often even while dreaming, language is present for most of us. There's the internal monologue that's happening. There's our conversations we're reading or listening to the news, we're texting, posting on social media, right? It's this continual exchange and flow. So this incredibly potent force that we're using all the time. And how, much, how aware are we of it? How aware are we of the words that we're using or where they're coming from? So to come back to Buddhist practice, this method for training ourselves to live in... Uh, to live in a way that's conducive to peace and harmony and understanding. When we, when we take on our speech and communication as a core part of our spiritual practice, there's a lot to work with because we're doing it all the time. You know, you can only sit in silent meditation for so many hours a day, right? Even if you're on retreat, you can only do so much formal meditation practice. But if we're using speech as a form of contemplative practice, we've got, you know, 
hours and hours and hours of practice all day long, all day long. And if you're in any kind of helping profession, if you're a therapist um, uh, or a nurse or a chaplain or you're sitting with people or working with people as part of your living, you know, it becomes all that much more important to really be exploring how we're using language, both in terms of how we speak and how we're listening. as a core part of, 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 uh, of our life, of what, what is it to be human? How am I living? So this is the, uh, the potential for um, for taking on uh, speech as a form of contemplative practice. A, lot, a, a great potential there for transformation. So within the Buddhist tradition, there are certain suggestions on how to use our speech in ways that are helpful, in ways that lead towards um, the fulfillment of our potential as human beings. And um, what's known as right speech sometimes translated as wise speech or mature speech, using language, using words in a way uh, that leads towards peace and well-being. There are certain guidelines within the Buddhist tradition for how to use language in those ways. And um, I'm going to share one framework with you. There are many frameworks within the Buddhist tradition for this. And... What's interesting about them is that it's kind of like a whole matrix and they fit together and you get a sense of this very flexible approach. It's not a rigid thing, always do this or always do that or always say this or it's one way or the other. But there's a sense of these different factors that one has to take into consideration to find what's the most useful thing to say or not say. When do I stay silent? When do I speak? When do I use very forceful, sharp language? And how? You know? In a way that's going to have the desired effect. When do I use language that's more gentle and kind? Uh, so we, we, we can study this whole realm and begin to develop uh, uh, a, a kind of proficiency, a, a kind of um, mastery over not just our words, but the energy that animates them and the way that we, that we interact. So one of the most basic uh, frameworks that the early Buddhist texts offer for how to use language in ways that are conducive to understanding well-being and harmony that are animated by the various intentions that, um, that we uh, named at the beginning of our morning are four, uh, four guidelines. Sometimes it's uh, shown as five uh, but uh, we can uh, sometimes it's shown as four. We can we can summarize them and remember them easily as four guidelines. And these are sometimes referred to as the ethical guidelines for right speech or wise speech in the Buddhist tradition. And so um, I'm gonna I'll name them. Yeah, question. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I can move this whiteboard so that those of you on the side can see it a little better. Thanks. And I also want to acknowledge I've been talking for a while, like 
this is the most that I will be talking ex- like kind of at a clip without more interactive stuff the whole day. I'm wanting to lay out some of this conceptual material for you. So, um, so the first of these four guidelines is saying that which is truthful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna name these and then I'll say a few words about each of them and then we're gonna discuss it. The next um, is saying that which is kind or that comes from the from a good heart. So from a good heart. The third is saying that which is useful. Why? Why am I speaking right now? Where is this going? And then the last is speaking in a way that's appropriate, the right time and the right place. So knowing, having a sense of timing and context for, for our speech. Timing and context. And so you can see, even looking at these, you start to get a sense of how this is a flexible matrix, right? Because if, if you only take what's true, right, well, we can say all kinds of things that maybe have some truth to them or are honest, but are not kind, right? Or that are not useful. Is it really helpful to say this right now, you know? Or maybe it's true. Maybe we're coming from a good place and maybe it's connected with some sense of purpose or use, but is it the right time? You know, is now the right time to have this conversation? And how often do we ask that? How are you doing? Are you, are you full? If it, no? A little bit more? Okay. All right, I'll share a little bit more and then we'll have some discussion. So truthfulness, saying that which is true. There's a huge emphasis placed on this in the Buddhist tradition. The contemplative path is about discovering that which is most true in our hearts, that which is most real in being human and separating out our confusion, uh, the distortions that we bring to our life through our perceptions and biases and, and getting to uh, a, a, a more and more a deeper, uh, more broad and open uh, understanding of the truth in all contexts and ways. And so if, if our speech, if we're not speaking in truthful ways, at some fundamental level, we're going in the opposite direction. And um, many, many very powerful analogies that are used in the Buddhist text to talk about the, the power of, um, or the, the impact of speaking in ways that are not truthful. It's like throwing out all of your, um, uh, um, all, all of the value that, that one has generated through, uh, through one's uh, spiritual practice when we, when we speak in ways that are not true. And the, there's a, uh, one text where the Buddha says to his son um, uh, to, 
never knowingly speak a falsehood, um, either for one's own benefit, for the benefit of another, or for some trifling gain. And so it's, uh, it's interesting to just contemplate what would it be like in our own life to take this on as a really strong commitment to say, I'm not going to say things that aren't true. And why? Why do we bend the truth? What's that about when we, when we distort the truth a little bit, right? Is it, where, where is it coming from? What are we avoiding? What would it be like to live in a society where that were a given? What would it be like to have a government that were committed to truthfulness and speech? Seriously, right? So this is, this is not just personal. This is a huge social value. So it's a tenet for building a better world. So not just saying what's true, but also... Um, can we speak in line with our deepest understanding of, of what's true about being human? Can we bring that kind of commitment to investigating what's true in a situation? And that means being humble sometimes and recognizing that, you know, there's a lot I don't know. So a commitment to truthfulness. So as you listen to me uh, talk about these, I just invite you to reflect on your own life, your own habits, and notice, you know, which of these am I naturally strong in? We each have certain strengths. You know, which of these you say like, yeah, you know, I'm actually, I'm pretty good about that. And which of these are areas that are more challenging? You say, you know, I kind of like, I tend to just take it lightly. I might lie just because it's easier, right? And not with a sense of self-judgment or blame, but just with curiosity, some sense of learning. So usefulness, being useful, or I'm sorry, kind, kindness. I'm listed in a different order on my sheet of paper here. So, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Can I elaborate on separating the distortions? I'll say something brief about it, and then maybe we can have more discussion after you've talked about it, and we, and we have a little uh, discussion One aspect of contemplative practice is about becoming aware of the filters in our own mind. So the practice of mindfulness is about learning how to perceive clearly and to separate the stories that we tell from our direct experience. That practice of mindfulness meditation then translates into our communication and the discipline of nonviolent communication is a very powerful tool for developing truthfulness. And the, the form, the form of nonviolent communication, which is about training our minds to identify specific observations, direct observations of our experience, um, uh, felt emotions that we're actually experiencing instead of the stories that we tell about one another the blame that we carry in our minds that are distorted expressions of our emotions and our deeper values or needs. So um, it's a training, uh, truthfulness. So that's, that's just a little bit, yeah. So uh, kindness, where are we coming from? How often are we aware of our intention 
when we speak or when we listen? And are we coming from a good heart? Are we able to connect with our best intentions? It's not about avoiding conflict or being nice, but but marrying truthfulness with a sense of of a of an open heart and sensitivity that we recognize the vulnerability of being human. You know that we're, we all feel pain. We all want to be loved and seen. And so, can we bear that in mind in our relationships and really come from a place of kindness? Can we uh, learn when to hold our tongue out of kindness? To say, you know, it's not going to be, this might be hurtful. Maybe I I just hold back on this because even though I have something important to say, I'm really angry right now and it's probably not going to have the desired effect. It's probably not going to go in a useful direction. Always, we're always learning about this, right? The effects of our actions and hopefully um, uh, training ourselves to have more restraint and patience and compassion for ourselves and for each other. Usefulness. How much of the time are we asking ourselves, why am I speaking? Right? There's this, uh, this acronym of, of WAIT, W-A-I-T, that uh, many teachers and communication trainers will use. There's uh, two different ways to uh, uh, fill in that acronym. Why am I talking? What am I thinking? WAIT. So there's that sense of pausing, which we'll look at in a little bit. So how much of the time are we investigating and aware of our purpose? How much of our speech is just without a purpose at all? Completely without a purpose. And then the last of these guidelines um, of uh, context. Finding the right time and the right place to speak. You know, and really being sensitive to that, actually asking that question. So these are, these are the four, um, one uh, matrix of the ethical guidelines in Buddhist practice. To, sit, to only say that which is truthful, kind, useful or helpful, and timely or appropriate to the context. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support Oren's work, you can donate at orangejsofer.com forward slash support. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.